Does fear and anxiety limit your life? Interesting question. Think about it. Today, my guest, David Stone, the author of the book, Unsubscribe Anxiety, and opt out of the myth that worry is required and take and taking charge of your own life. That's pretty, pretty deep stuff today. Next on the podcast, let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you very much, Joe. Pleased to be here and happy to be chatting about this really important topic because so many people suffer from worry and anxiety and they find it kind of crippling in their life and it keeps them from uh, attempting things that they could do and keep them from reaching goals that they've set for themselves. It's funny because one thing I, I really, really stands out to me, and I, I'm just kind of like, a, I feel like it should start off with this one, is the cover of your book. I really like <laughs> People can't see it on the podcast, but the three kids jumping off the rocks into like, it looks like a lake or it could be, it could be the ocean. And it kind of says everything about the book, I think. Yeah, and we do love that image, and, and we chose it because I think it, uh, it really embodies this idea that uh, we, we want to live a life that is not encumbered by, uh, oh, dear, what if, you know, and the worst-case scenario. And you see those three kids, and they're just, they're just filled with joy, and they're filled with uh, adventure, and they say, no, let's do this. And I'm sure their mothers are all standing around saying, oh, no, what if there's a rock down there and you'll put your eye out and all that kind of stuff. But that, that's what um, brings us down and, and stops us from uh, taking those kinds of leaps. So one of my favorite sayings is uh, uh, you, your parachute can't open until after you've jumped out of the plane. And so we, we all look around life for all these guarantees. I want to guarantee that this is going to work. I want to guarantee that uh, uh, my finances will be fine. I want to guarantee that if I do jump off this rock, that everything will be fine. Well, I don't, life doesn't come with guarantees, and we have to provide our own guarantees by trying things. And yeah, sometimes you land in a, <laughs> in a bit of a sorry splat, but for the most part, when we, when we all look back, over our lives, the things we've worried about are far, far worse than anything that ever actually happened. There's a great saying that uh, has been ascribed to Thomas Jefferson, and it said, my life has been filled with terrible, terrible events, most of which never actually occurred. <laughs> well, one thing, one thing I want to know, how, what, is your, like, what is your story when it comes to fear and overcoming fear and self-doubt? Oh, that's interesting. And, and I want to be, make clear to the to your listeners that uh, you know in terms of credentials I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist or anything like that but I spent way too many years wrapped up in anxiety and wrapped up in worry and finding that it was limiting my life and there's an interesting phenomenon that you discover in life is that the things that you tend to fear the most show up in your life it's like you almost attract them to you and my big worry was money and I grew up in a, a household that was, you know, I don't think we were poverty stricken, but uh, there were five kids and two parents and the ratio of uh, kids to income was not high. And, uh, and I remember as a young kid sitting once a month, my parents would sit around the kitchen table with all their bills 
who's, you know, spread out and, uh, you know, scratching their heads and saying, oh, how are we going to pay this one? And so I, I kind of got this message that money's hard to come by and that, you know, if you're going to be rich, you have to either be lucky or crooked or something. And so I had this mentality that money is really, really tough. And uh, I carried that all through my adult life to the point when, when uh, 10 years ago, I was 55 years old, I actually found myself homeless. I worried myself into homelessness. I was living in my car. It lasted about a month or so. And then I was couch surfing for a couple of months. I thought, my gosh, you know, here I am. I've got two university degrees. I'm a smart person. How on earth did I end up here? And what am I going to do about it? And so I, I set out to, say, to find an answer. I said, all right, what is this about? Because you know, I am the common denominator of all these problems. And it's easy, you know, I could say, oh, it's the government's fault. Oh, it's this, my old boss's fault. But that doesn't help because as soon as you start blaming other people and complaining about the situation, you hand away, you give away your power to do anything about it. Because if, if you're waiting around for your boss or your spouse or your brother or somebody to solve your problem, then they may or may not be interested in solving your problem. Question, how did... How did being homeless, I mean, being with your background and stuff, how did, how did it make you feel inside? I just had to ask that question. Yeah, two interesting feelings. The first one is it made me, I wasn't angry at all. I was certainly humbled, but I was also filled with resolve. And, and I wasn't, okay, this is the end. I'm, you know, I'm going to die in a gutter somewhere. It was, okay, David, here, you found yourself here. What are you going to do about this? because this is absolutely unacceptable. And so it made me inspired and challenged and, and energized to change this thing. Um, the other thing that it made me, and this was much uh, later, but now when I look back on it, it might have been one of the best things in, that ever happened to me in my life, because it was this huge wake-up call that said, if you just go floating on down the river without you know, paying attention, uh, you can land here. And you can, this can happen to you. So you, you sort of, it was a real wake up call to take charge of my life and say, no, no, this is, this is not how I pictured my life. This is not how I imagined myself landing up. So do something about it. So I really had those two responses to it. One was the energized and the other was, this is a really good thing that happened to me. So I, so I spent the next, uh, you know, I, I said, that's it. And I started going to the library, walking through the, and looking for books about how do you transform your life. And I started finding, you know, some of the classics by Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield. And then there were other deeper things that I read. And I, I spent, I've spent the last 10 years and I continue, I will be a student of myself for the rest of my life and learn what makes me tick and how, you know, how do I work and how do I start changing things? And then from that, my life completely turned around and it's really fantastic now. And I thought I got to share this because so many people suffer from the same kind of thing. I had a question. Well, some of the things that I I'm thinking about, like what was going on in your mind that like, yeah, I can do that, or I, I can be better than this, but what was holding you back? Well, one of the big things that so many people suffer from is there's a phenomenon, they call it imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not worthy to be this. I don't belong here. And I told you, I grew up in a, a fairly um, 
modest household in in a rural place uh, in Canada. And then suddenly, and, and by the way, I, I worked myself up. I moved to the U.S. in the early 90s and found myself, I was making six figures, a very healthy six figures as a, a marketing consultant. But I every once in a while, I look in the mirror and I think, who do you think you are to be able to do stuff like this? And what starts to happen is you start, uh, self-sabotage starts to kick in. And you, you find yourself doing things that, okay, I've got this opportunity, but maybe I'm just a little too bit lazy and I don't get around. And then the opportunity slips through your fingers. Or you, you, know, I get, I, you get some money in and then you spend it. When you should have been putting it aside or saving it or you know, paying off some, any debts that you might have, some credit cards or something like that, you spend it on something. Because, well, I never had this much money before. I'm, I'm going to buy a new pool. And then suddenly you think, whoa. There's none, there is no more. And you sort of, because of this self-sabotage thing that happens, you undo all the good that's trying to come to you. Uh, one thing I'm thinking about is like self-sabotage. Like, yeah, I'll get around to it. Man, I'm being lazy about it. It, it seems like a part of a self-sabotage because you're really scared of really don't, scared about doing it. So you're like, ah, I'll do it later or worried about it or have anxious about it. Absolutely. And, you know, we all, when, when the person thinks about fear or anxiety or worry, we tend to worry about the, the negative things. You know, we worry about uh, failure. We worry about rejection, all this. But just as many people are afraid of success, mm-hmm. because what that does is it makes you, it forces you to see yourself in a whole different light. We've all got this comfort zone. This is where I am. And if you fall below that, as I did, you know, your self-image, you say, oh, no, no, I got to get back. And now I'm back into the image of myself, of, you know, whatever the socioeconomic status is. But the same thing tends to happen if we start to get a little too above the image of ourselves. Whoa, this isn't me. I'm not the kind of person that makes big six figures, seven figures a year. That's not me. And so you do you make sure that you get rid of that and get back to that image of yourself. And so what we need to do is adjust that self-image and start redrawing our image of ourselves. And that requires expanding our, that comfort zone. And we're all familiar with the comfort zone. Something you can relate to. Uh, we just got, recently got back from the National Publicity Summit. You, and you were with other, other authors. And I was with the, I was on the part of the media and I can totally relate to that because my part of it is I was with the media and, and before you met me, I was, I felt out of place. Like, do I really belong here? I had a big assault imposter syndrome. I'm not sure how you felt about being with the other authors. And did you have any, any um, feelings about that? Oh, very much so. But uh, because here, here we are, you and I, we, you know, downtown Manhattan or midtown Manhattan with all these movers and shakers mm-hmm. and you sudden, and you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, well, that's not who I am. You know, all these other people, well, they're there and they're the movie stars and they're the, the financial magnates and all the rest of these people. Who do I think I am? But one of the things that you start to discover is when the more you meet other people, you realize they're just regular folks like you and like me. Mm-hmm. And if they can do it, well, why shouldn't I be able to do it? And I like I love to read biographies of very successful people. And I've read, uh, you know, I read Steve Jobs' biography, uh, and that one really touched me because here's a guy that, you know, nothing particularly special, but just decided, no, 
I want to accomplish these things. So, and every morning you wake up telling yourself, I can accomplish this. What's the next step to do? And sometimes you'll take, you know, some of the steps will be backwards, but you get up and you brush yourself off and you say, no, I'm going to keep going because this is really, really important to me. And there's no reason why I can't. And, and one of the techniques for overcome anxiety, overcoming anxiety is to become much more aware of how we worry because thoughts just bubble into our heads all the time. We do, we, Scientists uh, aren't, uh, aren't sure because nobody knows quite how to count, but generally they believe that every person has somewhere between 20,000 and 70,000 unique thoughts every single day. And they're just going on. Now I'm thinking about dinner. Now I'm thinking about my boss. Now I'm thinking about the kids. Now I'm thinking about the weather that's coming. On and on. And they just kind of come and go through our brains. We're not even paying attention. And uh, it's the same with breathing. I mean, we all breathe about 25,000 breaths every single day. And, uh, and, and yes, you can pay attention to your breathing. But for the most part, it just goes on without you even thinking about it. And with anxiety, one of the first things we have to do is start becoming aware of these anxious thoughts that we have. And so we have this, uh, I like to call it this third-party observer. It's yourself kind of sitting on your shoulder, observing your thoughts for a moment, saying, oh, there I go again, worrying. And so in a situation where we've got imposter syndrome, what you want to do is sort of catch yourself. And yes, I'm sitting here, the day, work a day me is sitting here saying, oh, here I am in midtown Manhattan, what am I doing here? But then the observer me says, okay, there you go again. Now you're having this imposter syndrome. And, and I remind myself with my self-talk that, no, it's perfectly all right. You know, all these other people also have worked hard to be here, also have established, in your case, established themselves as a legitimate media person with a, a voice and an audience. People like authors like me, uh, you know, want to talk to you and want to get to know you. And so we start replacing that self-talk with more positive, more, um, more reinforcing uh, discussions. And it's, it's just a habit that we break. We're so much in the habit of thinking these negative thoughts. And our instant thing is, oh, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, <laughs> that's the real thing. What's the worst that can happen? Nothing. Nothing that's going to be bad. Uh, no, exactly. And then we'll refer it. Why don't we ask what's the best that could happen? Um, you know, I, great people like yourself. <laughs> exactly. You know, the, the doorbell rings and instantly is, oh, oh, you know, is everybody all right? I bet it's the police coming to tell me that my son's been in an accident. Well, why wouldn't it be Publishers Clearinghouse ringing your doorbell to tell you with your million-dollar check? <laughs> oh, that would be nice. we, Yeah, and, and but why not? Why is it we always try, tend to think of, of the negative? And, and actually, there, there's a couple of reasons why it is that we go to that. And the first one is that humans are actually, our biology is pre-programmed with something called a negativity bias. Mm -hmm. The reason we have that is, you know, in millions of years of evolution, and when we were still tramping around the savannah and watching out for saber-toothed tigers, it was really useful to have this psychology 
that instantly, you know, if, if a movement was there, we instantly said, oh, oh, that's probably bad, because it probably was bad. But, you know, we left that, uh, you know, those the, the saber-toothed tigers and the mastodons long ago, but the biology is still with us. And so now our instant reaction is, oh, my friend didn't like my Facebook post, what's wrong? And we go to that kind of negative. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that the world around us has trained us from birth to worry and to be anxious and to always think about the negative. Uh, you know, when you were a little kid, your mother said, oh, now don't talk to strangers. Don't touch that. You'll get sick. <laughs> Stop doing that. Your hands will turn green. And uh, uh, we, so everything that we said we wanted to do, we were told, oh, that's a bad thing. Now, when you're six, walking home from school alone, don't talk to strangers is really good advice. Yep. When you're 26 or you're 56 and you still have this guilty and fear of anybody that I don't already know, that's way out of hand. And, and it doesn't serve you well. Um, yes, true. I mean, it, it's inter I'm just thinking about a lot of things about overcoming self-doubt and the mental. It's almost like a mental um, garbage in your head. Yes. In fact, I call it head trash. <laughs> and you gotta take out you gotta take out the head trash. I think I've heard that before. Then since it's a lot of crap that we've been building up over years and stuff like that and getting in our brain and and it's not ha half of it's not true. Oh absolutely it's not. Let's take the news for example. Mm -hmm. You know, I go I travel a lot and I'm in airports all the time and you're walking down the concourse in the airport and there's all these T V monitors and they've got CNN or they got Fox News and they're blaring away and here's, uh, you know, some announcer saying, here's what you need to know right now. <laughs> well, I don't need to know it. <laughs> no. <laughs> there was a typhoon on the other side of the planet from you. You need to know this. Why do I need to know this? And now it's got me worrying about, you know, my weather and everything else. And the interesting thing is news people from long, from, you know, hundreds of years, ever since we've been reporting news, have long ago learned that, uh, that negativity attracts eyeballs, mm -hmm. and there's the stories that they lead with are the ones that are that are scary. Frankly, when you study what's going on in the world, there is far more wonderful things, amazing things, positive things going on in the world than there could possibly be negative. But who, but nobody listens to that. There's an old saying among journalists, and it says, "If it le if it bleeds, it leads." Meaning that'll be the headline. And newscasters, and and so we're bombarded with this, and uh, and so we say, wow, the world must be a terrible place. There's fires in California. There's earthquakes here. There's hurricanes there. There's, you know, this government is, is being terrible. You know, we got all this partisanship. We're just bombarded with this negativity, and we sort of, and then we take it on ourselves, and we're we're trained to believe that the world is a horrible, scary place, and you've got to constantly be on guard or else they're going to get you. Exactly, exactly. But one thing that I was interested in, I read a little bit of your book, I, I read a couple of chapters, I, and I'll be honest, with you, I didn't finish the book. One of the acronyms for fear, um, I don't know if you want to share that with, because I've heard another one before. The one I heard was false evidence appearing real. I forgot where I heard that from. Uh, yeah. It was another book I read, but I, yours it was pretty interesting. I don't know if you want to share that. Yeah, um, if I can remember, it's, it's fantasized events appearing real. And, and what it is, is these, we scare ourselves by the things that we imagine. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, so I hear a news story 
And the, the, the news story says uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 500 points yesterday. Okay, so that's the, that's the lead story. Now, what do I do with that? I take that in. And, oh, and then they bring on some pundit who's going to sit there and saying, oh, you know, this, the, the market really needs, and it's, this is just the beginning of a massive market correction. And poor old, uh, you know, the um, average investor and in the, their retirement plan, they're really going to get hit hard. So now I'm going. I'm going. I'm going fast. I'm imagining. I'm thinking about my retirement savings, and I'm thinking, oh boy, well, you know, they're going to go away. And now I'm spinning down. I'm going to have no retirement. I'm going to, oh, when you know, when I'm 65, I'm going to have to get three jobs and work three jobs, and I'm going to be living in some rusty old double wide in, you know, in Nowheresville in the middle of nothing. And uh, and then I'm going to, you know, not be able to afford that. And I'm going to be pushing an old shopping cart around looking to collect bottles so I can cash in to buy cat food. And that'll have to do for dinner. And none of these things are true. And, and so they're totally fantasized events. But in our minds, they appear real. And what happens is our bodies respond. When, when your mind is tight, your body tightens up. And so our heart rate goes up and our blood pressure goes up, and cortisol, which is the chemical that goes into your bloodstream in, a, in one of those fight or flight situations, it's sort of our emergency response juice, mm-hmm. it floods into your body, which is really useful if there's a saber-toothed tiger, but it's not useful if you spend all day with this sort of heightened anxiety, because cortisol has some terrible long-term effects if it's too much. So we get these fantasized events because I've created it totally in my mind. And then, of course, what happens tomorrow morning on the news? Well, the Dow Jones recovered and went up another 700 points. You know? and, but you've suffered this hideous torture because you've imagined all this stuff in your mind. Well, it's funny the thing you say about the Dow Jones and the news and about politics and stuff. It was on the news yesterday, I read, I don't know what news station. But um, there was a big black hole found in, in, out in space, and it's eaten up planets and i'm like for one second go well what happened if they ate the earth we know my it's only six now but but it's like why am i even thinking about this stuff it's not exactly exactly you know it's funny because even the weather channel uh has a a program on it because they have to fill 24 hours a day with weather Mm -hmm. and uh they've got a they've got a show on there i forget the exact name about it but it's just it's sort of disastrous space weather, you know, all the weather that's going on out in space and how horrible it all is. Why, why do I need to know this? It might be interesting if I'm a scientist, but, but you're right, you know, they have a story about a black hole and here you are worrying about what happens if the black hole eats us. Yeah. Well, and the answer, the answer is we all die, but, but the, the likelihood that that's actually going to happen in our lifetime. So in the next, uh, you know, however many billion years. Well, it's one thing I want to ask you. What is pre-practice? Let, let us avoid anxiety. I know it's something you talked about in your book. Well, there's a number of different practices that, that we have. And these are sort of the mental habits that we want to use to replace the anxiety. And um, there's a number of different ones. But uh, one of them is that a lot of people who spend a lot of time with anxiety and they're spending a lot of their time in, during their day worrying. One thing I like to call is replace it with purpose. Mm-hmm. So if I wake up in the morning and the only thing that I've got in my mind is, oh, I've got to go into this job that I don't like and I bet my boss 
going to tell me we're being downsized and everything else. And I bet the traffic on the way to work is going to be bad. And I bet the weather's going to be, it's going to start snowing. And then there'll be accidents and on and on and on. But if I have a purpose in my life and I say, no, the reason I'm getting up this morning is because I've got things that I need to do that are really important things to do. There was a great phrase I heard. And again, I'm not, it's sort of ascribed to different people. But it says that there are the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and then the day you figure out why. Why was I born? And that's what, what were you put here to do? And if the only thing you were put here to do is, you know, go out, make a paycheck, buy the groceries, pay the rent, repeat, um, then there's a whole lot of room for anxiety and worry to come in. But if you discover, no, I was put on this world to help people overcome hunger. I was put on this world to, you know, in Steve Jobs' case, to put a computer on every day, on every day in every home. You know, there's something larger than yourself that you're getting up for every day. Then suddenly there's no room for anxiety and worry because you're so overcome with this. No, I have this very important thing that I have to do. So that's one thing. And, and in the book, I talk, uh, there's an extensive the whole chapter on how do you start finding what that purpose is. Another technique that people can use is a technique I like to call instant action. Mm-hmm. So I suddenly find myself worrying. I, I mean, I live in, on the southeast coast, on the coast of Georgia. And every year from June to right about now is hurricane season. And I, the people around here, it's really funny because as soon as June comes around, as soon as summer starts in, and later summer especially, you can, it's almost palpable, the, uh, the anxiety that's in the air. Everybody's watching the weather channel and tracking, oh, there's a low-pressure area formed in the East Atlantic. Oh, no, no, no. One of the problems with hurricanes is it's a very, very slow-motion threat. <laughs> I mean, you see things coming for, for weeks ahead of time. In terms of preparing for, for, a, for a hurricane, well, there's some very specific things you can do. First of all, you, uh, you, know, you have an emergency kit. And they, there's a million websites that'll tell you what you should have in this kit and some bottled water and some canned stuff and batteries and whatever. They also say that, you know, if they order, issue an evacuation order, and I've lived through a couple where they, we got evacuated, so, okay, which road am I taking out of town? And which direction am I heading? And, oh, bring your patio furniture in off, off the deck. After that, there's absolutely nothing that you can do. So when you find yourself consumed with worry, or let's say you've got, you know, you're a student. Oh, I got an exam coming up in two weeks. Great. Well, you can spend the next two weeks worrying about it, or right now, in the next five minutes, the next 15 minutes, you can sit down and write yourself a study plan and make a schedule so that if you take instant action and every single problem has the opportunity of taking some action on it. And worrying is very, very different activity than problem solving. So let's shift over to problem solving. There's some action that you can take to help alleviate this problem or not prevent it completely, then at least uh, mitigate the, the outcomes from it. So there's all kinds of things that you can do. Third thing, third practice that I like, and I think total we've got, there's one chapter, three different chapters that have major ones, and then there's one chapter that has 10 
sort of new mental habits if you want. But one of the new mental habits that I like is to focus on victories. It's almost like visualizing the end, or is that what you're talking about, visualizing the victory? No. Well, that is one of them, but I'm talking about going backwards. Oh, backwards. Okay. Life, because, as, because all worry is a, I'm looking ahead. I'm thinking about what's going to happen that's terrible to me. But what I, and I'm consumed with this worry. What I want to do is go back and think about my life up till now. And we do this in a very structured way. So, for example, what are five things that you accomplished before the age of 18 that you were really, really proud of and that really made you feel good? You know, maybe you were you, you did really well in sports and you played Little League Baseball and you got a home run one day or caught a fly ball. And you remember how good that felt in the moment. Or maybe you did, uh, you know, you, you aced an, uh, a test at school. Or maybe you got picked to be in a play. Whatever it was. There's, I remember when I was, uh, probably was 10 or 11 years old, my dad had a garage full of old junk. And I pulled out the stuff and I found an old lawnmower engine. And I built myself this little go-kart. And it was, you know, when I think back on it now, is this rusty old thing held together by <laughs> wire and stuff. But the thing actually ran, and I remember kind of bumping around the front yard, and the grin on my face must have been huge because I was so proud of myself. So, you know, things before you were 18. Then things that went really well when you were first in college or when you first started your, your first job, just getting into your work life. And then we, we go through different periods. And then the last part of this is, all right, five things that happened last week. That, you're really, that really went well for you. Because what happens is we start reliving the emotions that we had in those moments. And those emotions were self-confidence and self-esteem and happiness and joy and pride, all of which are the absolute opposites of anxiety and fear and worry. And so when we look back at our life, two things. Number one, we realize, wow, I've overcome every challenge that's ever been put in front of me to date. You know, the, the fact that you're sitting here breathing today proves that there hasn't been a single challenge that, that bested you. Yeah, you might have been down on the mat a couple of times, but you got back up again. So the likelihood that this next one coming along is going to get you is pretty slim, too. We think sometimes we may forget. I mean, we may forget in the time we're having or the situation mm -hmm. in front of us. We forget all those victories. We forget all the times we were confident. I think we forget some of that stuff. We absolutely do. And that's why it's really important to go back and recall and remember. I, I like to encourage people to have, surround themselves with mementos of their victories. So if you've got, you know, we've all got that cardboard box in the attic or in the basement that's got trophies from when you were a kid, you know, your swimming trophy or something. Put it up and remind yourself that you did this. We were doing a workshop not long ago because we, we bring this to people in workshop format as well. And we were going through this exercise of remember your victories. And there was one woman and she was probably, you know, maybe perhaps in her 50s or so. And she could not for the life of her remember a single thing from her youth that she said made me feel good. And she was just, you know, she came in and she was just so tense and so wrapped up. So we coached her a little, and she finally remembered. She, she was on the swim team in high school, and she set a record for, you know, for her particular stroke. And suddenly the, the look on her face just changed completely because suddenly she was remembering the feeling that she had in that moment 
and saying, wow, you know, I am somebody who's capable of, of remarkable things. When, when you fill your brain with self-confidence and self-esteem, there's no room for worry and anxiety in there. Well, and then one thing is, um, it's, it's interesting, too, and, and, and some lines like that we just forget, and, and, I, and it's really interesting about self-esteem and, and confidence. One thing I, one more I want to talk about is um, some of the services you offer, some of the, like you said, workshops and stuff like that you offer for people. Yeah. Oh, thanks for asking, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, on our website, which is i-fearless.com, and you've got to put the little hyphen in there, I, the letter I, then the hyphen, and then fearless.com. Anyway, we are... Uh, we're, we've got a whole bunch of things. That's, uh, we are just in the process now of preparing uh, the, an online course with this thing. So it's going to be a seven-week course that will go much more in-depth. And, you know, yes, you can read the book, which is great, and I encourage you to, but we have the online course. We're also just launching our YouTube channel, mm -hmm. and what we're going to be doing is posting uh, five new videos every week. Just short little ones. Each one will have a little bit of a tip on... Uh, overcoming anxiety or getting worry out of your life or bringing more happiness into your life and contentment. So we've got that. Uh, we do offer workshops, and uh, we've done a couple up till now. We're just getting started with that. But if there's anybody, you know, if there are any groups that say, you know, my, uh, my group or my, my uh, business, my office uh, would, would benefit from a, a half-day or a full-day workshop, uh, on overcoming anxiety, then we offer that as well. So we're looking to expand as much as possible the ways that we can get this message out there because it's so important and so many people uh, suffer from anxiety. And, you know, as much as anxiety and worry just feel crappy, I mean, those are some of the worst emotions that we have in terms of how bad it feels. In my opinion, the, the even more... The tragic side of worry and anxiety is how it holds us back from achieving what we're capable of achieving because we don't have the nerve to step outside that comfort zone. We convince ourselves before we even try that, oh, I wouldn't be able to do that. No, no, that's not going to work for me. What a tragic loss that is that, because we've all got so much incredible potential and, uh, and yet we don't even... Uh, we, we, we're our own worst enemy. We stop ourselves before we've even had a chance to try it. Where, um, where they would like, where can they connect with you and how they connect you if they want to ask questions or how well, you just talked about, oh. right, but do you connect you through email yeah. or, or social media? Oh. oh, absolutely. Yes. As I said, we've, we've got a YouTube channel, which is, which is I fearless TV. Mm -hmm. I, and there's no hyphen there. It's I fearless TV is our YouTube channel. No, did I get that right? I had some fearless. Anyway, uh, but we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and they can if they go to the website, you can find all the links to all of our social media. And yes, you can find there's contact information. They can uh, email me directly. I'd be happy to to engage with people. My direct email address is david at i hyphen fearless dot com. I'd love for people to connect and and be able to help them get over this. Because as I said at the beginning of our conversation, I know what it feels like to be just so wracked with worry. And then we're worrying about worrying. Oh, I'm worried that I'm worried too much. But I did find a way to overcome it. And it's not, not medication. 
I don't want to be taking popping pills because all that does is hide and, and cover up the symptoms. You know, I'm anxious. Okay, let's let's dull your brain so you're not anxious. No, I don't. I don't want my brain to be dulled by prescription drugs. I want to be live my full potential, and you can do it. Now, one thing I should make really clear, Joe, and this is I think this is very important. I really recognize, and at iFearless, we recognize that there is genuine mental illness that pe- that certain people suffer from, and that that brings on anxiety and depression, uh, and that genuinely does require mental or medical intervention and prescription drugs. Uh, we're, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us normal folks who are otherwise perfectly capable, and, but then it's just too easy to turn to you know some kind of Xanax or Prozac or whatever they're going to prescribe mm-hmm. to just dull you know the the feelings. No, we can do better than that. It's not necessary. Well, thank you, David. Thank you much for being on the podcast today. All the links will be in the show notes today, and um, I really appreciate you, sir. Oh, Joe, it's been a pleasure to be here. I love sharing this message, and I really appreciate that you invited me onto the show to share this with your listeners. Wrapping up the episode, I want to thank David Stone for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about him over at i-fearless.com. You can find all the links in the sh- about the show notes over at nosittingonthesideline.com slash 83. Hey, please reach out and comment. If you want to continue the conversation about this topic, you know, leave a comment, say hello, just say, hey, I'm listening. Because you know what? We appreciate it, especially this time now with the, the coronavirus going on. You know, continuing the conversation in the community is kind of important. So we can keep, because you know what? We want to, hey, I'm out there. I want to talk. It's, you know, it's important. You probably heard a lot about the coronavirus. There's a lot of things to talk, think about over the next few weeks. Yes, yeah, you can be worried about things, and but I don't think we all get through it. We'll, we'll, we'll get through it. And all the people who are going through being sick right now, may, may God help them. May me, God be with them and, and your family and, and your thoughts and prayers. And But we'll get the shoe together. Take a minute and appreciate your family. And then go for your neighbors. This is an important time. We can all get through this together. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. Give your kids a hug. Tell them much you love them, really. Give him a big squeeze hug and tell him I should love him because that's what I'm going to do when I get off this road. It's not. Take care. God bless. See ya. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the newsletter to receive updates of the show and helpful and useful tips. This has been a production of Foley 42 Media.